What a wonderful morning of worship already today. I invite you to open your Bible. You might find your copy of God's Word and follow along. We're in the book of Romans today, beginning this series of messages. And Romans chapter number one. Do you have your Bible? I hope that you do. You find it. Or uh, turn it on and find Romans chapter one, please. All right. And uh, we're going to look into God's Word together, Romans chapter number one. And uh, this is not a fast run through this book, and we're going to be methodical and walk through it together. So we're Romans chapter number one, and uh, we're going to begin today with verse number six, Romans chapter one, beginning with verse number uh, six. It says, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you today and we ask that you would speak to us from your holy word. Father, I thank you for the treasure of your word, that it speaks like no other book, that, Father, that it is the inspired, unerring word of God. That, Father, that it speaks to our hearts in every, in every, in every way, in, in every circumstance, and in every generation. And, Father, I thank you for this epistle written at the hands of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we know that, Father, today that you have a word for us today. And so we're listening. Father, we're listening. We're listening. Father, may we set aside the things that distract or disturb or take away, and may we hear you. Father, forgive us of our sin. We have all sinned. We all come short of your glory, and we all have the struggle of flesh and sin and rebellion in us. Yet, God, you love us. We confess our sin to you. We desire to forsake them and to cleave to you. Father, we cannot pay for our own sin. And so we trust in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, who died for all of our sins, so that we might have everlasting life, that we might be cleansed from all of our sin. So now, Father, we trust in him. Thank you for so loving us in Christ. And Father, encourage us in our faith today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to believers in Rome, and he's, this is the makeup of the church. While he doesn't use the word church, it is certainly these believers who've come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that's what makes up the church. They're made up of Jewish and Gentile believers, and so he's writing to them. He's trying to encourage them. They're doing life together. They come from Two distinct backgrounds, these Jews and Gentiles, many of them totally different culture, different customs, different eating habits, different languages, different idioms, different political views, and different ideas about government. 
They come with lots of differences, but they're united in one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. I have a t-shirt that I was wearing yesterday, and it says, the gospel unites. I think that's a great truth, isn't it? The gospel unites us. In our current Southern Baptist life, there's a lot of division these days. The irony of it is I got that t-shirt at the convention. (laughs) But the gospel does unite us. And that is our common ground. And he's reminding them of this and who they are in Christ. And so on this part of the sermon today, we're looking at First of all, we looked at Paul and his identity, and then secondly, we looked at his message. What was his message that he had to say to them? But now we want to look at through the recipients of that message and what is their identity and Paul's reminder to them about their identity. He's reminding them who they are. What is their new identity that is found in Jesus Christ? Because that new identity affects how they live their life. Often in counseling sessions with people, I'll ask simply the question, who are you? Who are you? It's just one of the real pressing issues about becoming a mature and healthy person is an understanding of who you are. As a matter of fact, one of the struggles of young adulthood is identity versus role confusion, understanding who I really am. Not what the world tells me, not what the crowd tells me, not what my peers tell me, not what social media tells me, please. But who am I really? And what is it that I believe, really? And what do I value, really? And how will I live my life? How you live your life reveals so much about what you believe about yourself about God. Paul speaks to these Christians in Rome and he's reminding them who they are. And so it's a reminder for us today, not just the church at Rome. So notice with me, he's talking about his mission is to preach the gospel. We've received grace and apostleship, Paul and other apostles, to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, verse number 5. Then he moves right in, including you who are also called by Christ Jesus. So there's the very first point in the sermon today. Who are you? He's reminding them. Number one, write it down You are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You've been called by God, and you're called to Jesus Christ. You're part of the called. Amen? Tell your neighbor, God has called you. Yes. He's calling you. First of all, he says you're part of the called. Now, there's a universal or general sense of God's calling that God makes to every man, so to speak. In Psalm 19, it says, The heavens are declaring the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. God is speaking. God is revealing 
in all of creation. But God speaks generally to all of men. Isaiah chapter number 1 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be as wool. He says, Come. Later in Isaiah, he says in chapter 55, verse 1, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come ye to the waters. And ye who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy milk and wine without money and without cost. He says, come to me, and I will satisfy the deepest longing of your life. And even if you have nothing and you're bankrupt, come to me. Jesus said similar kinds of calls in John's Gospel, chapter number 7, verse 37, the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast. He says if he's in Jerusalem and he cries out in the temple complex, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened and laden down, and I will give you rest. Wow. What an invitation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 17, the Bible says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come! And let the one who hears say, Come! And let the one who's thirsty, Come! And not the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I hear myself preaching twice. <laughs> I'll take that as an amen. The Lord is calling, the Lord is speaking. The Lord is calling you. Jesus is tenderly calling today. Calling today. Calling today. Oh, sinner, won't you come home? Amen. It's a real offer. It's a sincere offer. But here's the problem. The problem is our sin in our fallenness, and we are lost and bankrupt and in rebellion and refusal, and we are dead in our trespasses and sins, Amen. and we refuse to come even though he offers his grace, his salvation. Amen. So Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. If you have your Bible, you can look with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and maybe on the screen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18. Listen to what the scripture says. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to us who are being saved. It's to many the cross of Jesus Christ is nothing but foolishness. And to the lost man who's blinded in sin and rebellious against God and, and committed to his own selfish, lost ways, even though God is calling is sincere, 
without the work of God and a special call of God, we would never turn away from our sin and turn to God because we're lost. Years ago, I was taking a... I was in college. I actually went. Some of you wonder if I did. I was going to that citadel of orthodoxy, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. I took a religious studies class. It was taught by a man with a Ph.D. from Harvard. He went through a divinity school, but I doubted that he knew Christ at all. It was a history of religion and Jewish studies. And when he got to the idea of the atonement, he said, what foolishness, what a foolish idea that a man would come and die on a cross and that that death would satisfy God and provide salvation. Only a fool believes that kind of thing. There was a man in the class that I didn't know him but very well. He was, much, he was older, and he was in the class. He was a believer. There were several believers in the class. And he was from McLeansboro, Illinois. And he said, sir, I have one thing to say. He said, the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Yes. <laughs> The class was quiet from there on. He said, dismissed, and he let us go. But you see, there's people that stumble because the word of the cross is a stumbling. Christ is something that they stumble off over. In verse number 23 of, Rome, of 1 Corinthians 1, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But notice he uses the word called in here. He says to all of us, in verse, look in verse number 24, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24. Notice of his use of the word called. He said, yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now he's not talking about the general sense of call, but a particular sense of call that God has moved and called in us to himself to be saved. That's what he's referring to. By the called, it's those that God has called to himself. Through his grace, he has chosen and elected and selected and called us by his great love. They are called, the ones that are called are those who respond to his grace by faith in Jesus Christ alone. They are the called of God. And we are not saved by our own merits, by our own goodness, but it is the work of God for us. God didn't call you because he saw some goodness in you, because of some worthiness in you. He didn't call you because you're smarter. He didn't call you because you were better. He didn't call you because he saw that someday you might do this or that. No, he called you just because he loves you. And he called you to himself. Wow. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1, Ephesians 
chapter number 1. Notice with me, uh, chapter number 2, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you previously walked, according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. What was your status before Christ? Verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. You were what? Dead. Dead. Can a dead person make themselves alive? No. Notice we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But, but, (laughs) thank God for this. But what? God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had, he had loved us, that he had for us, made us alive, quickened us with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you were saved by He also raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you were saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so we are the called of God. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of this world. God is the one that calls us. God's the, call, the one that calls. And he said, Jesus says, you gave them to me out of this world. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word God is working redemptively. God is calling. God is saving. God is pursuing you. God drew you. God opened your eyes to sin and your lostness. You would never, ever have seen it by yourself. You were so lost. You were so corrupt. You're so fallen. You could not find God on your own. If God left it up to all of us to find him on our own, on our own none of us would be saved. Amen. It's the work of God. He opened your eyes to sin. He opened your eyes to see how lost and corrupt that you are. He opened your eyes to see your condition is absolutely hopeless. And he opened your mind and your heart to see Jesus as the Son of God and that he died for you. And you run to him. You want him. This is a work of God in you. Amen. It's God's grace. He drew you to himself. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus said to Peter when he confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Wow. Your salvation, listen, my friends, closely. Your salvation is God's work from beginning to end. You don't contribute one thing to your salvation. 
Secondly, they are called unto Jesus Christ. That's what he says. He says, you're called unto Jesus. Called of Jesus. It's a genitive. It's possessive. It means the NIV translates this correctly. You, to belong to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You're called into fellowship with him. This work of salvation is his doing. Notice with me in 1 Corinthians, again, chapter number 1. Listen to what Paul says in verse number 26. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. There's the word again. Not many were wise from human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong, and God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one will boast, may boast in his presence. For it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In verse number 30, it says, literally, it's his doing. In Romans chapter number 8, we will get to this glorious passage sometime this year, maybe. In chapter number 8, verse number 28, For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and called, there's the word, according, called, according to his purpose. Verse 29, those he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God was in work for your salvation from beginning to end. This is the effectual call of God on you. In Revelation 17, 14, they're the called, the chosen, and the faithful who are with the victorious Lamb of God fighting against the enemies, called and chosen and faithful. You've been chosen in Christ. Now, how were you chosen? How were these Gentiles and Jews chosen in Christ? Well, first of all, it's in the preaching of the word from synagogues and in the marketplace. People were declaring and preaching the Lord Jesus and the cross of Christ and the, and the coming of God's uh, uh, redemption in Christ. And as they preached the cross and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, God's Holy Spirit moved powerfully in these Jews and Gentiles alike, and they turned from sin and trusted in God. You see, this is what happens when we proclaim the gospel. 
It's even happening maybe this day. You're listening to the gospel being preached today, and you go, how does the preacher know this about me? Anybody ever had that? Has my wife been talking to you? I've had some of you ask me. Because inside we struggle. We're, we, we, we struggle. We know that we need to change. And we know that we need to repent. And, 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 and as we hear the preaching, we're, we go, man, that's my problem. That's my sin. I know that I messed up. I know that I need help. I know that I re- need to repent of my sin. I know I need to turn to Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know I need to confess and get right with God. I must do it. I must turn to him and put my faith and trust in him. And that's what happened. People did that, and that's the way people respond today. It's the work of God's Spirit in the preaching of the gospel. That God has ordained it, that we preach the gospel, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. So we're to preach the gospel and declare it. But maybe it happens as simply as a friend ask you for a cup of coffee, and you sit down with a, over a cup of coffee, and in the moment of that, that friend asks you about your life and about how you're doing spiritually, and then they share their testimony about what Jesus Christ has done in their life, and all of a sudden you feel it inside of you. That's what I want. That's what I need. I need a living relationship with Christ. I need to be cleansed within. I need to know God is my Savior. I, I believe that Jesus died for me. I want that salvation, my friends testifying to me about. And that friend says, would you like to trust Christ? Would you like to pray and receive him? And you go, yes, yes, that's work. That's the work of God inside of you. That's why we take the gospel and we preach it everywhere and we talk to people. We don't know who's going to get saved or not, but we need to tell the good news of Jesus to every man and woman, boy and girl. Maybe it's a track that you read or a podcast you listen to or reading your Bible like John's testimony. But God moves in your heart. God uses all these things to speak to you, to call you like Lazarus out of a dead tomb into life. Secondly, they are not only called of God, they are beloved of God. He calls them in verse this very verse, he says, you're called, but not only called, he says, loved by God, beloved of God. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 12, in the first part of the verse, so as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Did you know God loves you? Tell your neighbor, God loves you. He loves you. How much does God love you? How much does God love you? We play this kid. We play this game with our grandkids. Do you love Papa? How much do you love Papa? Do you love Daddy? How much do you love Daddy? Charlotte teasing me. Do you love Papa? How much do you love Papa? <laughs> do you love Mama? Twinkle in her eye. How much do you love Mama? <laughs> do you love Papa? How much do you love Papa? <laughs> How much does God love you? John says, see how great 
a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. Woo! Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Wow. It's amazing love. He's loved us. God has demonstrated his love for us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. His love is never failing. It's never ending. It's amazing love. It's based in amazing grace, and it will never, he will never quit loving you. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. He's for you. He keeps you. In Romans chapter number 8, verse number 35, look with me. Listen to what it says. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Are there hard and difficult times in life? Yes. It goes on in verse 37. No, in all of these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in life, nothing in death, nothing in heaven, nothing in hell, nothing on earth. Nothing in the government, nothing in your family, nothing in you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He knows you. He knows you personally. He's been working in your life personally since before you were born. He was working in your life in the womb. He was working in your life with the day you were born. He was working in your life in the family where you dwelt. He worked where you were reared. He was working in your life in grade school. You didn't even know it. He was working in your life in high school. You didn't even know it. He was working through the hardships when you thought nobody cared for you. He was working you for you in the blessings when you wondered why they were happening to you. He's working in you in grief when your heart was broken. He's working in you when you're hurting and hurting like you've never hurt before. He's working in you to bring you to himself. He works, he knows you personally, he loves you personally, and he's working in you, not only personally, he's working in you purposefully. He has set his affections on you. He died for you. He loved you so much that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He keeps you. He will not let you go. He's got a hold of you, my friend, and he has loved you with an everlasting love. Amen. Wow. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote these words concerning the love of God. Listen closely. We are Christians for one reason only, and that is that God has set his love upon us. That is the thing that brings us out of the world, out of the dominion of Satan. And therefore, it's not surprising that the apostle here should remind these Christians of this wonderful thing. The world hated them. It persecuted them. They might be arrested at any moment at the whim of any cruel tyrant who happened to be the emperor. 
They might be condemned to death and thrown to the lion's arena. They were oftentimes hated of men. So Paul is anxious that they should realize this, that they are the beloved of God, that they are in Christ and that God loves them in the same way he loves Christ. Do not rush on to another chapter in this great book. He's saying, I want you to know this. You're loved by God. You've been sanctified by the Lord. My dear friend, if you only realize as you should that you are loved by God as he loved his own son, that you would learn the most important thing with respect to your sanctification without going any further. Wow. So this brings us to the next thing that Paul says in this text. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 1. He says, you're called of Jesus Christ to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. You are a saint by God's work. Now that's a thought. I'm looking out here and I see lots of saints today. Do you consider yourself a saint? Here's the deal. The false teaching that's gone on through centuries through the church that saints are a special class of Christians has also affected us as evangelicals and we don't like to use the term. We are saints in Christ Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, listen how the Apostle Peter describes us. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, in verse number 9, But you are a chosen race. Did you know that God chose you? You're a royal priesthood. That means you're a kingly priest. You're a holy nation. That means you've been set aside. You are his people. You're a people for his own possession. I think the King James says you're a peculiar people, and indeed you are. So that you may proclaim the praises, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. You have been sanctified by the Lord. He made you holy. How did Jesus Christ make you holy? By the work of Jesus Christ. Your sins, all of them, they have been, they have been washed clean by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You cannot pay for your sins. You cannot cleanse yourself from your sin. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. You've been washed. All of your sins have been washed away. He has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. If you ever bought a new shirt, new blouse, new tie, new dress, put it on, wear it first time out, spill something on it that's greasy. Don't you hate that? Back in the day when I used to wear a necktie every day, thank God, I don't do that anymore. But anyway, expensive silk neckties, wearing those things, go to lunch one time, 
on the tie. And then you can't wash it. You can't get it off. You take it to the cleaners. It's still there. You put it on, you can still see it, right? And you go, this blouse I'll never, ever wear again. It's ruined. That's the way we feel about our sin. What can wash it away? What can make me clean? I can't undo it. Dark is the stain. I cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, 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 look. There's a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. You are justified by a holy God. You're made right. You're declared right. And you're the righteousness, the righteousness of God. Christ has been imputed to you as a believer, and now you are not only declared right, you're made right, and his righteousness has been imputed to you. You are now a saint, a holy one, called by God, and you're a part of God's holy people. We need to live our identity in Christ. He has set you apart. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You're precious to God. You're valuable to God. You're a treasure box to God. You are a saint. I look out here. I see St. Paulette right over here. St. Dan. That's a stretch, but St. Dan right there. All right? All right? I see it. St. Tom right there. St. Dee Dee. St. Betty. St. Dan and Susie, welcome home. Saints. Huh. John was baptized today. St. John. I'm St. Louis. <laughs> we are saints in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? Wow. Finally, Paul reminds them and prays for them, blesses them, and he says, called by Jesus Christ, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is like a blessing from the Old Testament in Numbers 6. It's grace and peace. He says, you, I'm praying this blessing over you. I want you to hear it today for us. Grace to you. Grace is the unmerited favor, undeserved favor, and blessing of God. It's grace. But it's grace for the power of God, the sustaining strength of God to persevere in this journey of faith. By the way, the journey has potholes on it. Has anybody noticed? Valleys, trials, and difficulties. When you become a Christian, it isn't smooth sailing all the time. But God's grace is sufficient for your need. My grace is sufficient for you. 
My power is perfected in weakness. And when I am weak, then he is strong. And when I go through a valley, the grace of God sustains me, holds me, strengthens me. And the peace of God floods my mind and my heart. I am at peace with God, but I have the peace of God. And the peace that surpasses all understanding. And it gives me strength. It lifts my spirits. It gives me health to my thinking. It works in me. Listen, that's why this is a relationship. Grace and peace. Where do we find that grace and peace? In the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in you. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a walk with God, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he's with me every step of the way, and his grace is sufficient, and his peace. Do not be anxious for anything, but everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart, your mind, in Christ Jesus. This is what God gives us. This is who we are. Fear not. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God, He's with you. He's for you. You're His chosen people. Now let's live like it. Amen. Do you know Him as Savior? You're not a saint if you've not come to know Him. The invitation is to you. Do you hear his voice? Don't harden your heart. He's calling. He's calling. He's calling you. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Be saved. Turn from your sin. Do you hear him? Will you run to him? Find life in him. Your life will never be the same. He's working. He's working today. Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts, in our lives. In this moment, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray that today, that today, they would respond to your call in their life. Turn from sin and trust in Christ. In Jesus' name.